Please turn to 1 Samuel 8. We're reading verses 1 through 22. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same way all the others have. When they said, Give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told them all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to his use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties, to plow his ground and reap his harvest, or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best cattle, and your donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourself. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel. Appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, Each of you go back to your city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jack. So this last week, my family and I decided to attend a protest that involved many different community leaders. Like the police chief was there, the mayor was there, there was many different city councilmen and women, congressmen, senators, um, different organizational leaders and pastors. Uh, like it was really a, a, a large representation of our community as a whole. And what what I noticed as I listened to the many hurt and broken, 
frustrated groups of people wasn't what everyone desired. Everyone desired a solution to a very big problem in our country. Everyone wanted a solution that would bring peace and prosperity, happiness and unity, relationships and trust between authorities and their people, right? And everyone there was hoping and trusting in a different solution to fix this massive issue that's going on right now. I think we all desire a kingdom that provides these solutions, right? Those things sound good. Peace, unity, prosperity, all of those things are good things. And we all desire them. But the problem becomes when we get twisted up and look for kings to answer these problems, broken kings. We look for broken solutions to answer our brokenness instead of looking to God who will not fail us where all of these other things would ultimately fail us. And I want to remind you this morning as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 8 that this is one small story made up in this large grand grander narrative, this grand story that that's, tells us about the coming of Jesus Christ. And all of these different stories that make up the Bible are designed to show you that Jesus Christ is essentially what mankind is searching for. He's the king we're all searching for. And we find this answer in God's word. So as we dive into the text, we're going to see a very normal reality of the human condition. We're going to see the people of Israel search for a king, which is not abnormal at all. In fact, at this point in history, Israel, they've taken possession of the promised land, right? And now they're demanding a king to protect them, to prosper them, and to fulfill them. These are their demands. And that's not necessarily outlandish either because God's word tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 20, that God had promised Israel that one day he would give them a king. But the unfortunate thing is that when they request it here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it reveals a complete lack of faith that they had in God who was supposed to be their real king. He was supposed to be the one that they depended on to meet all of their needs, to provide all of the solutions to the broken, brokenness they were experiencing from having a bunch of bad leaders. So I want to do three things. I want us to consider three things this morning from the text. I want us to think and observe what exactly was wrong with their demand for a king. I want us to see how their demand was ultimately destructive. And I want us to come out of the text for a second, look at the whole counsel of the Lord, and see what God and his grace did in the face of these demands. And so we'll begin with looking at what specifically was wrong with their demand. If you'll look, we're going to focus in verses 1 through 8 for a minute. And I'm going to kind of skip around because we've got a lot of text and and Jack doesn't want to stay up here and just keep reading for us this morning. So we're going to do it like this. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting verse 1, it says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. 
So he is older in age, and we need new leadership, right? So he points his sons. Look at verse 3. It says that his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned towards dishonest prophet, took bribes, and what's it say, church? They what? Perverted justice. When leaders fail to lead righteously, they will always take their people the wrong direction. As a leader, you have one or two directions you can lead people, right? In good ways or in bad ways. And your people are going to follow you regardless. And, and the people of Israel pick up on this, right? Some of their leaders, the elders, look at verse 4, say that they gathered together and they went to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, look, you are old. That's how you start a conversation, right? <laughs> look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. Being like everyone else is better than your sons. Verse 5, or verse 6. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. Just take note here. This isn't a massive point of the text, but in this this whole sermon series of God Hears Us, one of the main applications has been about prayer, right? And here we are given another example of Samuel being told hard things, and his first response is to pray. When there is real brokenness and real hurt and real pain, our first response should be to go to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord answered him in verse 7. He says, listen to the people and everything they say to you, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. I think the best way to explain what's going on in the hearts of the people at this time in Israel is maybe with an analogy. That's uh, not me on a rock climbing wall. No, I was, I was thinking about this uh, time when I was growing up, and my parents used to take us to preteen camps every summer. Any other Christian kids do that? We used to go to preteen camp every summer, and one year at this camp, they installed this massive rock wall. It was from the ground to the ceiling, right? And they put bells at the top, which when you're a little preteen boy, right, you see that, that means oh, competition. Like, I'm in. I want to climb that, right? And they would have... Uh, They'd have some summer intern teenager, right, making sure you didn't, like, fall to your doom, right? So we'd go up to the wall. We'd get in these little harnesses. We'd put on these little helmets, and we'd clip into the rope. And then that little teenager, right, would do what's called belay. They would belay for you. They, they were your belaymen, if that's a word. And you would climb up this wall, and we'd race. We'd climb real fast, right? And we hit the bell, and once you got to the top, when you get to the top of a wall, if you're rock climbing, you very quickly learn who's exactly afraid of heights. Because what goes up must come down, right? And so here's, here's what they tell you. They tell you to lean back on the rope and get fully perpendicular with the wall. And the belay man has all your weight, and they're sitting on the rope, and they're lowering you down 
inch by inch as you walk down the wall or bound, okay? You're putting your full weight, your full hope, your full trust in that rope and the person who's making sure you remain safe. Now, that's for people that listen, right? For the people who are afraid of heights, what happens is in that instance, when they're told to come back down, they, they turn into cats and they sprawl out on the wall, right? And they, and they like glue themselves to the wall and it's all arms and leg trying to shimmy down this wall. And they know though, if I fall, there's someone at least who's gonna keep me from eating the ground. But I'm not going to trust the rope and trust the belayment. I'm going to do this on my own, right? And I think this is what the people of Israel were doing. And I think it's what many of us do as well. Many of you think of God as some sort of bailout option. I'm going to trust in myself or other things. But if I fall, at least I know God's going to keep me from eating dirt. But that's not the relationship we're supposed to have with God, is it? In verse 8, here's what God says to Samuel. He says, they're doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. So church, do you trust God fully as you lean back on the rope? Or have you abandoned him to search out another solution to your problems another source of happiness or pleasure or maybe you have a bunch of conditions you've set in your relationship with God a condition like maybe if my marriage is good then God I will trust you or if I have success in the workplace then God I will now begin to trust you or if my kids are well behaved then, God, I trust you. And the, t- the text tells us exactly how destructive these kinds of demands are. Take a look here at verses 9 through 22. I'm going to read essentially 9 to 17. I want you to listen to what word is repeated in the text. Because anytime time we're studying God's word and the author's repeating words or phrases, we should take note, right? And so here we're going to see something repeated. All right, listen up. So God tells Samuel, listen to them, but solely warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Verse 11, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, your cattle, and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. What is the key word that's being repeated in this text? 
take, take from you. When you trust in a broken king, you become enslaved to a master who would only take from you and not give you anything long-lasting. Galatians 4.8 says, says something similar. says it this way. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not God's. So I'm going to list a few things. I think a lot of, a lot of us folks, we look for... We get, we get real broke, and we, and we get real pain, right? And we look for solutions to answer these problems, but we're always looking at broken solutions that don't ultimately answer real issues. They fail us in some sort of ways, and I think the, this list might resonate with some of you, but I want to point out that they're not things that are inherently wrong or wicked. They're not bad to desire. It's when they become your king that they begin to destroy you. So let's start with money. If you grew up maybe in a lower socioeconomic class like I did, having money some, somewhere in your mind becomes the answer so that I don't ever have to experience the things I experienced in my past, right? If I get a good enough job and, you know what, if I take out a good loan, I can buy a house in a neighborhood that keeps me out of where I came from. Or maybe if I have nice clothes and nice shoes, people won't look at me a certain way. Money is the answer to my problem. So I take out credit cards and I take out debt and I become enslaved to a creditor, right? Or maybe it's politics. Maybe your thought is, you know what? If my party wins the uh, election, then our country will look like it should. But what happens when your party or your politician votes in legislation that goes against every principle in your being? Then what? Maybe two or four years from then you can vote them out if you're lucky. You become enslaved, right? Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's if I control my kids and my household in such a way, I'm hovering over them, right? My, it'll ensure that my kids are well-behaved, and I put them in every church event from birth to graduation, right? Like, no matter what, I'm going to control this. And then your kids grow up, and they've missed the gospel and begin to serve themselves instead of loving God. Then what? Or maybe it's work. You might think if your career would be marked by success, then you can have the things you want or the status you desire. But what happens when your employer rips you away from your family with long hours because you're chasing after a career? They're not inherently wrong, are they? None of those things are. But it's when you're looking to them to become your king that you become enslaved by them. The people, in verse 19, Israel says, refuse to listen to Samuel's warning. No, they said, we must have a king over us. 
Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. What you think when you choose a broken king is that that king will do whatever you want them to do. But that's just not the case. What happens is you have to do whatever they want you to do. So, church, what king have you chosen that has enslaved you? And I want you to really think about this question I'm about to ask you. Do you want to be free? If you have chased one of the things that I talked about a couple seconds ago, and you've had enough, and you recognize that that solution is broken, a good question to start is, do I want to be free? Do I want to deal with this forever? Because I believe there's something we can do about it, even today. When the people said that to Samuel and rejected God, that to me would be like getting spit or slapped in the face if I was God. And like all of Neil's wrath would come down in an instant. I'm not. I'm not God. But what we see and what I want to draw your attention to now is to come out of 1 Samuel 8 and let's look at the grand story for a minute. And let's look at what God does in his grace in the face of these wicked demands that we ask of him or that we reject him with. So, 1 Samuel chapter 8 is a story that drives us forward to a place. Okay, so this is the first instance where Israel is now asked for a king. And we're going to see a bad king come next week. And then we're going to see a, a better king come in, a, in, a, in the following few weeks. And then guess what? After that dude dies, we'll have one decent guy and then just a slew of awful kings. The Bible's full of fail, failure after failure after failure, right? But all of that is driving and pointing to one place, and that is the King of Kings, that Jesus is coming. God, in his unfailing love, sends his son to be our king, and that's what I want to draw our attention to, a king who would not take from you, but would give you life. Because all the other kings that you choose to serve, other than Jesus, they will fail you they will enslave you they will take from you and your desire for a solution to whatever is hurting in you that's not misplaced but if you choose a broken solution you will remain broken so let me uh read a few verses from the bible because i want us i want us to capture the character of this king and why we should choose him over all the other stuff. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. So King Jesus says about himself, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. King Jesus is a servant. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no, no, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. King Jesus is a king who loves 
sacrificially. Or Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, which is a great text right now to give to people who are struggling with injustice going on around them. It says this, This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. And he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and the islands will wait for his instruction. For the people who are struggling with injustice right now, you can bank that Christ will exercise justice. That the solution he provides will be perfect in its measure because it is in his very character to be just. King Jesus is a just king. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. King Jesus is sovereign. He is in control. Nothing is happening out of his hands. He's holding it together so it doesn't explode sometimes is what it feels like. And my personal favorite, Mark 6, 34, which says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. King Jesus is compassionate and merciful. When he looks onto the world and sees the brokenness that's going on, like what's going on right now. He has a physiological reaction. He has compassion for what's going on. Why? Because he knows he is the solution. They are like a sheep without a shepherd. He is the shepherd. He is the perfect solution that will not fail. And this is who God is. And he sent his son in the face of our wicked demands to look for other things instead of him. If you've become enslaved by a broken king, I promise you there's some things you can do about it. The first thing you can do is repent. You can repent of that choice. You can repent of that master. You can go before a holy and righteous God and say, I have failed you. I have chosen another king beside you. Forgive me, God, and turn from it and turn towards him. I want to encourage you to choose the right king today. You don't have to wait. You can make a choice today and now and for the rest of your life on who you will follow and who you will trust. Will you lean back on the rope? Or will you just try and do it in your own strength? and fail you can choose to follow Jesus you don't have to wait anymore so if you don't know him 
or if you realize you've been chasing after false gods, man, I'd love to talk with you after this service. Pastor Steven's somewhere around here. He would love to talk to you too. And we can, we can walk with you through these things and towards the King of Kings. Let's pray.